I'm your host, Rena Friedman Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Hey, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mommy's calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy cause he knows you best. He's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees possibilities. If you're true to yourself and can be an individual and you get encouragement from your friends and family, then you will be able to truly help others. Today's guest, Sean Dillon, was one of the first to encourage me when I started working in radio. He said, share parts of your life, be yourself, and those will make the best bits. He's the host of Beyond the Mic, and that's what we're doing today. Sean, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. So, you know, I did a post recently about content creation, and one of your comments was, all you know is being a full-time content creator. Can we talk about that? When did that begin? Haven't we all been content creators our entire life? I mean, th think about this much. When, Rena, when you were a kid and trying to get dad's attention, you were, whether it be singing, dancing, whatever, you were creating content. You were creating something of, hey, dad, pay, look at this. Look what I can do. Look at this. And we are all like that. We are all content creators in one way or another. I like how everyone has this focus of, look at all these content creators. But radio has been content creators. Television has been content creators. Newspaper has been content. We're all content creators. I, I lose... It makes me want to lose my mind when people say he or she is a YouTube content creator. You know, what, what kind of content creator is that? We're all content creators. I think that we need to stop looking at what we're doing and who we are and look in more to are we providing what people want? Because the thing is this, you knew exactly what was going to make your dad smile growing up. You knew exactly what you were going to have to do to get the attention. You were tailoring your content. I'm the oldest of six kids. And so as the oldest, if you didn't have uh, dad's attention or mom's attention, you better be doing something unless it was bad. Then if you had mom or dad's attention, then you were in trouble. What were you doing to get attention? My sisters and brothers were all athletic. And so they played soccer and, and they did gymnastics and all that stuff. For me, I was more the storyteller. I was more be creative in that way. I would look and write long-term reviews, long 500-word reviews on why the Galaga inside this mall was was better than the Galaga here because of it had to be different settings because you could play a game longer at this area rather than this one. So, which goes back to your whole thing. We're all content creators. We, we all have passion for something. And as long as we maintain whatever we have passion. Now, people say, well, he or she had a midlife crisis and they changed what they did. My sister went from being a full-time lawyer, $100,000 plus job in Dallas. She's now a school teacher in a high school in, in, in HEB area. Big change, but it all comes down to her passion was gone. I've been doing radio and my passion was going, 
So I started Beyond the Mic. It's passion is the biggest thing that people have, lose, and it changes who we are. I mean, your passion changed. If your passion didn't change, would you have been married? If your passion didn't change, would you have kids? If your passion didn't change, would you not still be in TV? Passion is the key thing that we all have and that we all For some reason or another, you know, people say it's boredom. People say it's, Hmm. well, you know, it's all I know. Well, what are you passionate about? What makes your heart race? What gets you excited? What makes you want to go to work in the morning? That's passion. So you became passionate about beyond the mic. Do you feel like that complemented what you're doing at the radio and maybe reinvigorated that a bit? Beyond the mic was basically, best way to say it is beyond the mic was started because someone else didn't want to do an interview. So because they didn't want to do an interview, I was like, huh, it's an American Idol star. Peeked my head around the corner and said, I'll do it. And from one to another, to another, to nearly 500 interviews, that's what it's all about. It's it's about, I've always been in, inquisitive. I've always had, you know, the desire to, even in our conversations, I want to know more because if I know more and I can relate and or find what you are passionate about, then I can either help you or find someone that can help you. Because that's a matter of people like be on the mic because they don't get the same four questions, whether it be the rocking aid or one big question or anything else. It's a matter of I don't want the same information. You know, in your thing, we went completely. I mean, did we really talk, if anything, about Springer? I mean, one question, but nine times out of 10, your entire life has, you know, been boiled up into ball that was your time as Jerry Springer producer. But there's more about you. And there and that's the thing. There's more about us that people don't know. I always like putting out a quiz and saying, what what are these things do you think I have done and one thing I haven't done? And I list certain things and people are like, oh no, you never did this. That's the thing. We are not boiled down to one thing. Okay, so I'll take you on three things. See if you can guess two truths and a lie. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Let's go. Three things. In my life, I have been a Radio Shack store manager, an employee of the TSA, and here's the tricky one, an unarmed private investigator, which are true, which is the lie. TSA is the lie. TSA is the lie. But I worked for the companies that worked for TSA before the TSA. I was a passenger screener before TSA. So technically, that would be true that it is false. But also, you know, if I'd said, hey, I was a security screener at Cleveland International Airport, you'd probably go false. And I'd say true. So it was close to a lie, (laughs) close to a truth. But that's the thing. There. In true, we live in black and white society. It's not black. It's not white. I was talking with Barry Corbin the other day, and we were talking about the whole concept of in the old days, you know, in the old movies, you had always the, the bad guy always wore the black hat and the good guy always wore the white hat. You can't put black hats and white hats on people nowadays because it's a million shades of gray. That's what the issue is, is that there's a million shades of gray. So thus, there's truth in everything I I, I told you, but you got to get down to the nitty gritty before you figure out what's really true. Well, I would narrow things down because you're amazing at tracking people down and researching. So I knew you had to get that from somewhere. Okay, so this is where I get you again. The unarmed private investigator, I had to get that license to be a security guard at Mm. the airport. Interesting. So they do weave together. So they weave together. And the only reason why I was a a security guard is because the job at the airport that, you know, I worked at the airport ever since I was 14 pushing wheelchairs. Yeah, I am curious, like, where your love of helping other people came from. I did find out from Emily, who used to work for you as a radio intern, that you did some work with the Children's Miracle Network. Talk to me about that. Children's Miracle Network came down from the death of my sister. My sister, I lost her to Burkett's lymphoma back in the early 90s. So I came up here to go to school, basically to hide from school, to hide from the world. Basically, when Tara passed, you know, I was one of the youngest 
Radio Shack store managers. And I had just come off a vacation where I was trying to spend time with her and she passed. And after, you know, after she passed, I said, look, I'm going to go bury my sister. And they said, no, you can't. You've taken all your, you've taken the vacation that we can gave you. So we need you back in the store. And I said, I lost my sister. And they said, we don't care. So that's where I was like, well, you know, I'm leaving. So I didn't do anything other than get a, everything in my car, finish my apartment lease, got into Texas Tech and went to start going to school. I got sick with pneumonia. My parents had to pick me up, but I had to spend time at the children's hospital. Well, not the children's hospital, but the hospital, UMC Children's, UMC Health System. And when I came back, I started working for KLLL and KLLL was being they were being told, you know, you got to do St. Jude's, you got to do St. Jude's, you got to do St. Jude's. The local manager's like, well, that's great, but all that money goes to Nashville. It doesn't go to Lubbock. And, you know, Children's Hospital's been asking to do a radiothon. So we started to do a radiothon, and for 20 years, we raised $4 million for the local children's hospital. My whole philosophy with that is I'm doing it for Tara. I'm doing it for my sister, and I will always be the first person in in the room for every day during the radiothon, and I'll always be the last person out because I didn't never wanted somebody to think that there are people who are talented, incredible people, but they depend on producers and they depend on people to make their life so much easier. So because of that, I never wanted to ask someone like Emily to do something that I wasn't willing to do myself. And I always told her that is that, you know, whatever it's going to take, I will always never ask to do anything that I won't ask for myself. You know, that's $4 million, 20 years of, of that, one year raising $60,000, one raising $300,000. When you have the ability of helping others, that's where you're, that's the thing. When you have these kids that the first year kids are now married with kids and you look at that and go, because of the money that we helped raise, that helped the hospital, that helped the kids, that helped them, in the end, we're helping the future. So for me, it was simple because you found the passion that every dollar was that we were raising was helping these families who may be from Eastern New Mexico all the way to some of the most richest people in town to some of the, the most poor. And it, they didn't matter. It didn't matter to them if you, who they are, or it was you're sick, we're going to take care of you. And so because of that and watching how other people were helped and other people were, families came together, the community came together. And so for me, it's the easiest way to do something when if I help, if I'm A and I help B and B helps C and it comes all the way or back around, someone may help me. So it's, you put good karma out in the world and sometimes good karma comes back to you. My dad says that all the time. Have you seen it come back to you? Do you recognize it? Rena, I'm not looking for it. See, the thing is, is that there are people who look for misfortune in their world. Mm. There are people who, you know, they got the, the last X and I wanted that. They got the last, you know, Xbox 360. I wanted that. They got the last big screen TV and I wanted that. Okay. So. There are people who are like, I can't believe that that you brought you brought this and it didn't have it was supposed to have, you know, three eggs and only had two eggs. There are people in this world who look for everything negative. That's true. And with that, if you are looking for negative, you will always find negative. You will always have somebody who it's the pig pen. <laughs> it's the pig pen philosophy, you know. If Pigpen decided to take a bath, he probably wouldn't have a cloud of dust around him. It's a matter of what you want is what you get. Sometimes you don't get what you want. Sometimes you don't get what you need. As long as I don't get what I deserve, then we're good. We're good there. As for karma, karma is one of those things of where if you get it, great. But I'd rather put it out in the world and make people, what does it cost me to be nice? Nothing cost somebody else nothing to be nice either. You know, there are too many people in this world who spend too much time being miserable. They could spend that time being happy. As for looking for karma, 
It'll find me. I'm going to tell you that Emily said that you're an excellent host. You're an excellent friend and that she wanted to be a DJ and you gave her that opportunity. So that's really cool that you mentored her in that way. Mentoring is the most important thing that you can do. It is. It's the absolute. It's crucial. I want people to make mistakes. I've made mistakes all my life. Anyone who says they haven't made mistakes, they're lying to you. Make mistakes, learn from it, grow, be a person, be amazing. And that's the key to life is find someone who is better at what you're doing than you and then bug them and ask them questions until they tell you, why are you asking me this? You're good enough on your own. And then realize one thing, when you're the smartest person in the room, time to find a new room. You can't grow, you stagnate and you die. We were talking, I'm not talking having someone tell you what you should do specifically. But I am, I compare it to, have you ever bowled? Yes. Okay. Have you ever, ever bumper bowled? Yes. I do better that way. But here's the thing. <laughs> when you're driving, when you're bumper bowling, what are you doing? You're trying to stay down the middle. You're trying to stay within the lines. That's what a mentor is supposed to do is supposed to kind of guide you if you're going off course to bring you back to where you need to be. And if you're not, if you're not there, if you go one way or another, it will find the mentor will guide you to where you're, you have to be. I feel like you've mentored me even in just the short time that I've known you. You gave me tips about being safe online and maybe not putting all of my personal details online, although I still haven't changed that. When I first started at the radio station and I wasn't as confident as far as coming up with bits, you said what is going to make you different and stand out and be great is your personality and what you're actually going through in your life. That is something that an AI bot can't replicate. And so I really started leaning into that and I'm becoming more comfortable with it. I may still have to record, you know, three and four times, but I feel more confident in the bits and in, in what I'm sharing. Here's the thing. What a good mentor does is take the best parts that are inside you and bring them to the foreground. That's all they do. There are people that have been great interns and great employees, but if they weren't there and they didn't have the passion and if they didn't have it where they needed to have it, I'd be like, go find something that you enjoy doing that you're as passionate about. And in that, they became a better person. I may not have gained an employee. I may not have gained someone that could help me in the future, but what does it do if I lift up someone who is going to be a bad DJ, what does it benefit them? All I'm doing, like if you weren't, if you didn't have a good personality and you didn't have the confidence of which you both have both, but if you didn't, and I said, Hey, keep on doing it. You can do it. What does that do? It delays you from where the path where you really need to be. You've got the personality, Rena. You've got the ability to do it. You've got the knowledge. It's a matter of, did you believe? And so me just giving you a little push, it doesn't do anything. It's the best way I can describe it is this. If you have talent, you can do whatever you want. However, if you don't have passion, if you don't have desire, if you don't have moxie, will, determination, grit, I have watched the most talented people in the world we're now selling carpet because they didn't have the effort. I have seen the most talented people in the world who thought they were going to go into bigger markets and bigger efforts. And I've watched them go to bigger markets. I'm still here. I'm still doing radio. I'm still doing beyond the mic. I'm still doing what I love and I'm passionate for. And I did not lose a moment. Why? I may not be the talented most person in the room, but anything I give, I give with 100% effort. And that's where it comes down to. You can be, you can attempt to be wonderfully talented, but if you don't have passion, if you don't have effort, lazy, you're not going to go anywhere. You have to have talent plus effort equals success. And I've watched the people who have the smallest amount of talent, but they are the most enthusiastic and incredible people. And those people widely surpass those people with talent and effort. And I will say the third part of it is a little bit of luck. Because here's the thing. If it didn't take a little bit of luck in this world, would Kim Kardashian have a job? A little bit of luck? Yeah, for sure. 
nothing against you, Cammy, but you know, come on. Talk to me about your grandparents growing up across the street and how that played into your life. Oh, grandparents across the street. That right there was terrifying. The best way to describe grandparents, my grandfather was a teacher, psychologist. He uh, would say psych or the Army Air Corps, which was the predecessor to the Air Force. And so his job was to, during the war, to push pilots until they failed to know what the limitations of what they could do and how long we could push them before, you know, in the case of war, they failed. Grandmother was a speech and hearing pathologist. And so having them across the street, that right, that right there, grandma would take me to school and she'd teach classes and I'd go with her to her night classes at the college. And the best way to describe it is imagine a seven-year-old kid and you've got all these cute little 18-year-olds and they're all like, hey, and I'm like, I'm not, why am I here? And she would have me, okay, write an A with your left hand, write an A with your right hand, write a B with your left hand, write a B while this, the, this, this girl talks to you, write a B while, you know, and so she was showing speech and hearing and how I, she put on headphones and she would give me signs with, okay, write a B, you know, and how the inflection of a voice matters to what you want. You know, I can give you the same directions, but the inflection changes the way you're, the way you in, intend. Can you write a B for me? Can you write a B for me? Two different inflections, but when you're seven years old, those things, you know, and then you've got, you've got that. So grandma and grandpa being across the street. Probably one of the funnest things that there because grandfather would for Christmas would invite us over on Christmas Eve. And so the tree would be out, all the presents would be out, and grandfather would say, pick one present. And we my brother would always go for the big one. Always. And grandfather would trick him and put it in a smaller box and a smaller box and a smaller box until it was like, you know, a fifty dollar bill. But we'd be like, so we would my sister and I would figure out, okay. Grandpa knows that we're, we want the big presents, but are the big presents in the big box or the small box? So sometimes we would go for the small box and he would reverse psychology. He'd be like, if Pat draws first, then you get, then I will talk to Sean next because he will take the small box and he will reverse. He reversed, double reversed. He was throwing, it was mind game after mind game. Are you sure you want that? I mean, he was the ultimate game show host. Is that it? Are you sure about that? You want that box? You know, you're going to get all these boxes. And I swear to you, some of the boxes will have changed from Christmas Eve to Christmas Day. I swear he swapped out at least one box. I could never prove it. But that was the joy of a parent and a grandparent to be able to do that stuff. That's a beautiful story. Tell me about the China Hutch. No, no, come on. You want you want you 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 want it all. I gotta leave some. Fine, I'll tell you a little bit about the China Hutch. In our house, there was a China Hutch. And this China Hutch was it might as well should have had construction cones and caution tape around it. We would run around the house and mom would be like, Don't you bump in that China Hutch? You bump in that China Hutch. You bump into it, something breaks, dad's going to come home, and you're going to get the belt. And we'd be like, no, 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 no. And one day we bumped against the China Hutch, and something shifted. And I've never seen, never seen my dad come out of the bedroom with the belt faster. He was like, and we were like, run. <laughs> so the China Hutch was the, it was the cornerstone of the family. It was living, it was in the dining room. And if you never run through the dining room, never run through that because if you did, you were in trouble. However, and I'm going to give you the payoff that you want. There was one day where mom started unloading dishes from the China Hutch onto the table. And we're sitting there and we come home from school and night before we'd watched Wizard of Oz and come home from school and mom's unloading the China Hutch and we're like, I unloaded the China Hutch. We didn't run into anything. Every, this isn't, you know, spring cleaning where mom brought everything out of the China Hutch, washed it, dried it, put it back in the China Hutch. No, she was making the table. We're like, we've never seen the China from the China Hutch actually used. And there's plates for 
all the kids. So, I'm not sure about this. And the mom says, you have to go up and take a bath. And we're like, take a look at the afternoon. We're going to take a bath? No, we're going to have guests. So grandpa comes in. We had already taken our baths, come downstairs, told we were on our best behavior. And if we weren't on our best behavior, we would get the belt. And grandpa had a tie on. And grandpa, to have a tie, grandpa didn't wear ties. He, he wore sweaters. He wore nice nice button-up shirts. Never saw a tie. I saw I saw a grandpa in tie for graduation and funerals. That's it. Grandpa had a tie on. We knew something was up. So grandpa comes in and then the door opens and in walks this older lady and my grandma. We're thinking, who is this person? Well, normally grandpa, dad was at one end of the table and grandpa was at the other end of the table. So that, those two ends of the tables were like places of honor. And so grandpa is sitting at corner of the table and grandma's at the other corner and Mags was sitting at the end of the table. And we were like going, okay, this is Miss Mags. She's going to tell you some stories and you're going to sit there and you're going to listen and be good. And so Mags started telling stories of Hollywood, acting, everything. This went on for hours. And then my sister, Tara, who I'd lost from cancer years later, breaks down with Eon. And we're, we're looking at her like, Tara, stop that. They're going to send us to a room. Don't do it. And then my brother, Pat, and dad's noticing. And he's like, to my mom. And, and we're like, don't you do it. Don't you say, we will not go. We want to st still hear Mag's stories. And she is, Mag's is telling stories. And we're sitting and grandpa had, had brought out popcorn and we're eating popcorn. And, and then all of a sudden I yawned. And dad's like, that's it. Time to go to bed. And so seven, six, and four-year-old start marching around the table saying, we're not going to bed. You can't make us go to bed. You can't make us go to bed. Nope. Can't make us go to bed. Nope. We will not go to bed. And then out of the front of the table to our shock. And this is because earlier in the table, earlier in the thing, before, before dessert came, you know, Mags asked, you know, what would you do? The Wicked Witch of the West, we're here. And we said, we know we exactly what we do. We'd throw water in her and she'd melt and we'd be fine. And we're marching around the table and they're like, Max is like, no, no, you've got to go to bed. You've been wonderful kids. You got to go to bed. And all of a sudden we're like, nope. And we're marching around the table. Drama at seven years old. And then Margaret Hamilton, the Wicked Witch of the West, who'd been my grandmother's patient, helping her with her speech and hearing. Said at the end of the table, she looked at us as we came around to her. She said, I'll get you my little pretty, even your little dog Dodo too. And we looked and we looked and we all of a sudden realized it was the Wicked Witch. And we ran. We ran up the stairs. We ran into my room. We shoved a chest of drawers in front of the door. And dad is like pounding on the door. Let me in. Let me in, kids. I'll beat you with the belt. Because he's thinking, he, you know, you're embarrassing us. You've already embarrassed us with the running around the table. You know, don't embarrass us anymore. And we finally were like, we don't have any water. We don't have any water. We need water. Dad's like, I'm going to end you if you don't stop. So we move the chest of drawers. Dad comes in. and We're thinking, we're done. This is it. And then behind was Margaret Hamilton. Margaret Hamilton asked us to get into our beds. We got into our beds and she read us a bedtime story. So of all the things in the world, I've talked to so many hundreds of people in the world, so many special moments in my life, but no one can ever tell me they've ever been tucked into bed by the Wicked Witch of the West. And that's my story. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. That's great. That's crazy. Did you buy that pretty? Wow. I know your parents are still around and you were recently checking in on them today, yep. right? I talk to mom and dad every day, 825 in the morning, every day, except for Sundays. I let, the, I let them sleep in, but every day. And if, and if mom doesn't hear from me, she'll call me. So that's one of the things that the pandemic made it where I watched so many friends lose moms and dads and loved ones. And it was one of those things of where I wanted to cherish, hug, and give them. Because, you know, you asked earlier about Beyond Mike. Beyond the Mike was not only because that boss that didn't want to do the interview said, 
hey, you know, you know, I don't want to do this interview. And I reached around the corner and said, I'll do it. It was also because all the times with my grandfather and grandmother, all the stories that they had, and all I had to do was put a a tape recorder in front of them. And I didn't. And so all the stories of grandpa, you know, being a professor and yet during the Great Depression, having to uh, sweep streets, other than the memories that I have of it, they're gone. And so that's the reason why I do what I do is because we all have incredible memories, like the memories that you have with your dad and your mom. If I put them down in audio somewhere, then they are not lost. That's the whole goal. That's what it's all about. So talking to mom and dad, whether it be so dad can tell me there's squirrels that run across the power lines behind the house. And every single day, dad's like, I'm going to get an air gun and I'm going to shoot these damn squirrels. The squirrels are going to go. And mom's like, you're not getting it. You're not getting an air gun, Thomas. And I'm like, so every year I'm like, hey, dad, I'm going to get you an air gun for, for Christmas. And mom's like, I will disown you. You will be done. I will never. And so I got dad like a rubber band gun. He's like, it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the distance. It doesn't have the distance I need. Damn things run away before I can really, really really get them. And I'm like, dad, the squirrels are still going to be there, but it's just one squirrel that just sits there and taunts him. There's one that sits on the line and, <laughs> and he's just, he's just like, I want to get that damn squirrel. I should be able to eliminate rodents. And then she, mom's always afraid that he's going to, to, to miss and like shoot a window out of the neighbor's house. And so she's like, don't you do it. So one of these days, one of these days, I don't know when, but I'm just going to gonna get him a daisy or rifle and just say, have at it. I think you should. That's so, legacy right there. Exactly. You know, one of the things that we were talking about this week, and I wanted to ask you about, is we were talking about change. There are a bunch of people who are always willing to give advice. And, you know, Rena, there's some great ideas we have for better call daddy. We, we want you to change this, or we want you to change that. And it came down to something that I remember growing up. If I change who I am for anyone other than the betterment of me, am I better for it? I can change a lot of things. You're talking about change and, and the concept of passion. But if I changed who I was 30 years ago, before I started radio, if I didn't, if I changed that, I changed and left business school, business school and everything to go into media. I changed for my betterment. However, I don't think that Beyond the Mic would be as good it is as it is now had I started it 30 years ago because I don't, I don't, ha I didn't have the life lessons. I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the things that. I needed to learn because you and I were talking off air about being empathic and, and understanding and empathetic of what questions to ask and what questions not to ask. I don't think I would have had that had I done it 30 years ago. How did you get brave? I don't think it's a matter of brave. I think it's a matter of, Rena. it's not a matter of brave. I, I don't want to construe or misconstrue what I do as brave. But I want to take it to the point where it's a matter of not bravery. It's a matter of confidence. It's a matter of if I do whatever that I do, it's not a matter of bravery. It's a matter of should I do it? There are a lot of things. There are a lot of opportunities I have, have had in my life where I could have done a lot of things. And it's that choice and it's that confidence of knowing when and when not to do it that determines what's for the better. That's a good point because you might do it in a truer version of yourself if you pick the right time to do it. it. It's a matter of would you have asked the questions you would have asked of the late Jerry Springer had you not had the experience with Jerry? No, you had common, you had commonality, you had common experiences wasn't you being brave. It was that you had the confidence of saying, look, I already knew this. We lived this. And that's the difference. It's not a matter of anyone can ask any question anytime. It's a matter of should you ask the question and what do I get from asking the question? We were, we were talking about the concept of the Rocky and eight off air. We were talking about the concept of 
why do I do the way the things that I do? The, the reason why I do the things that I do and the way I do it is because we all have a story. But if you're coming on here and if, if my whole thing is, is I will do the two or three questions required to, you know, you're here to promote Better Call Daddy or here to promote, you know, your time at Jerry Springer. Or if you, when you write your book, and I'm expecting you to write a book, <laughs> to talk about those experiences about being a mom, your times at Springer, et cetera. But there are more things about you than that one focus. The reason why I do the Rocky Nate is because if I know and I get to pe people to know that about any topic that I ask you, then I am going where 99.9999% of interviewers don't. That's where we need to be. We need to be at a point where we are not asking, so how is the, you know, how is the book? Tell me, tell me about your time with, with, with Springer. You know, what did this moment mean to you? Those are all great and, and questions, but after a while, you become a robot. And how many times have you been doing interviews with people and people ask you the same three setup questions and you answer them the same exact way? Okay, I'm going to make you do a rock and eight on the fly. Ready? Bring it! Bring it! Okay, if you had to do a rock and eight on the late Stan Lee... What questions would you ask him? You see, the thing is, everyone thinks that, that the Rocky Nate is planned. Sometimes the Rocky Nate is more about who they are and what they have. I'd probably ask Stan one of the questions. I won't give you all eight, but I'll ask one. One of the questions I'd ask Stan is, coming up with Spider-Man and all those wonderful things, what's the one character that you had that didn't get the love that you wanted it to? Because the thing is that I want to know the passion that he had for something that wasn't successful. Because, because there's always things in our projects that we have that we're like, my God, this is going to be the greatest thing in the world. And people are like, eh, pass. And we're like, but this is the greatest thing in the world. Pass. It crushes us on the inside. You're laughing, but you know I'm right. You're laughing, but, uh, yeah. but the thing is, there are things that we think, I mean, come on, there were there were times that you had a show, show idea. You had a pitch. You knew exactly what you were going to go. And you were like, this is the pitch. This is the person. And they were like, I don't get it. Or they just totally had me fooled and they give you all this excitement over the phone and then they see the studio audience and they freeze. Freeze. Exactly. And so the thing is, is that I want to see what makes people tick. I want to see what gives the, because Beyond the Mic is all about passion for the non-norm. It's about passion for things that people don't know about you. Because if you're passionate, if you can tell people something that they don't know, if you can tell people something, you know, that people don't know about, people are more like, wow, one of my recent episodes with Misha Collins, we talked about, you know, his greatest international scavenger hunt. And, you know, I asked him if that would ever return because it was gone right before the pandemic. And it was one of those things where it was a scavenger hunt that his fans did. But the thing is, is that people... We're like, oh my God, is the Gish coming back? People went online and were going crazy because I mentioned something that he hasn't talked about in three years, and yet people had so much passion about. If you find what people have passion about, people are going crazy on on that. So, you know, for, for the Rocky and Eight, it's finding the facts and finding the information that people don't know. Because then if I find out one little piece of gold, if I find out one little piece of gold, that's where people will be like, oh my gosh, I have to listen to this because at every time, every time I'm going to find out, I'm going to find out one, at least one thing that is different from somebody else. Can I tell you who tipped me off? Who? Do you have a guess? Oh, about which? What? Stan Lee. Oh, let's see here. Pro I don't know. It could be my wife. It could be. It Mitch wasn't Tuck. your wife. It was Jeff Tuck. And he oh, said. Jeff Tuck, Jeff Tuck. See, see, that's the thing. That's one of the greatest things in the world is, is, and for me, it makes me so happy and so proud because you, my student has become not the master, but a better student. And that's, that's the thing is, is that by doing this, you found out more about me than normally you would have, right? Isn't that fun? 
See, it's fun. Okay. He also wanted to know your thoughts about the current state of comic books as a medium, how it's shifted focus from creating new and fantastical stories to feeding or supporting creating movies and TV shows. The problem with that is, is that the medium is evolving at like every other medium. The medium is comic books, newspapers, radio, television, streaming. They've all have to evolve and change because of market forces. And because, you know, this is not like back in the 70s where you had five stations, you know, and if the president was on, he was on every channel and, you know, you weren't going to watch anything. You know, it's it's like the best way I can say that is this, is that when you have things like back where you didn't have video on demand or audio on demand, because of that, you had the ability of now seeing any episode, anytime, anywhere. And because of that, it, you know, in the 80s, NBC was must-see TV. And if you missed the episode, you don't, you'd never know if you were going to ever see it again. And so people would wait to see. There was no VCR. There was no DVR. And so with that, you could do that. Now, also with comic books, you have the ability of, the best way I could say it is, is that you have so many offerings in comparison to before. So many great independent like Dan Didio, who, who, who was part of DC, who have left and formed their own brand. You have 500 cable channels, most of them with nothing on. I mean, how many of us have, have run out of things to watch on Netflix, even though there's 30 billion things on there? When you had limited information and limited amounts of things, when there was Spider-Man and not Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, you know, Spider-Man 2099, when you, when you had one thing, you had one focus, but we've been converted to the ADHD society where you don't have focus. You don't have, there is no, then if you were passionate about Spider-Man, you read Spider-Man. Now I couldn't keep track of all the different forms. It's like a television show. Well, you have, you know, NCIS, NCIS LA, NCIS New Orleans, you know, NCIS Hawaii. My the wife, same thing with real housewives. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What they do and what Hollywood does best and worst is whenever someone hits on something successful, then there is 3,000 different versions of the same schlock the same garbage i mean american idol well now you have you went from american idol to the voice can i can hear your voice everyone has a singing show people brought back game shows but they didn't bring back interesting game shows they didn't bring back game shows that are new and different i mean the wheel you know the wheel was something different the wall was something different but other than that let's redo Family Feud, $45,000 Pyramid. The reason why things like Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy have lasted so long is because, with very few exceptions, have they changed the formula? Nope, they haven't changed the formula. You don't have the super wheel or something. You, you have one wheel, you spin, you guess a letter. You know, you have Wheel of Fort, uh, Jeopardy. You have the answer, what is? It's simple. And so that's where... I think that having too many choices has caused people to lose the ability of being passionate about any one thing. They're passionate about Real Housewives. Which version? Are you Real Housewives of New Jersey? Real Housewives of Basketball Wives? And because of that, it becomes less special. And because it's less special, then in the end, you lose passion. And then in the end, are you watching it? I mean, what's your favorite show that you watch? I'm binging Jewish <laughs> matchmaking because okay. I'm getting ready to interview the host. But that show is the exact same formula as Indian matchmaking, which I also binged. And so, but the thing is, is it, it hasn't changed it's Look, not... Walking Dead's on, what, season 11 or something crazy? Yeah, but you have Walking Dead, Where the Walking Dead, you've got you, you've got all the, the versions. It's like, we're successful in doing something. We have to prequel. Yeah, we got to do a prequel. And, and then a prequel to the prequel. And then let's do a, a, a side step to on one of the minor characters. It's like whenever 
Hollywood has success, instead of creating something new, let's use the same formula, but put in a different city. Fast and the Furious. Vin Diesel will be doing Fast and the Furious 38. He'll be coming out of a crutch. No one matches with the family. Now, now get me into get me into the muscle car, you know, wheel me over the wheelchair. But as long as we as a society pay the money and say, yes, I want to see Vin Diesel again. Say the same damn lines every single time. Have that same look of moody angriness. As long as people are buying it, they will produce it. Okay, so alongside that, though, does your audience determine your show or do you determine the show? Depends on that whole concept of what your goal is. Mm. Here's the thing. Let's say some person was coming, some Hollywood person. Rena, we love you. We love everything about the show. We're, 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 we're going we're gonna to do this. I want you to do these interviews every week. We're going to have you on, you know, the Fox network. You're going to be national, everything. But we're going to make one small change. Instead of calling it Better Call Daddy, we're going to call it, you know, Rena World. Would you make that choice? Would you make that change? That's a good question, right? Because then you're selling out for money or reach or someone else's idea. Betterment of yourself. Right now, you would probably not change anything because of the passion that you have. You want to make money. I think we all do. But the thing is, is that if you change what the show is, is it still your show? You know, it's like one of the things that I wanted to ask your dad is where he got his passion from and how to maintain passion. Because that's the thing. There are millions upon millions of podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, etc. However, there are less than 1% that have over 100 episodes. So you are in the 300s, I'm in the 500s. We are in the top. Anytime that someone listens, if we have 30 people that listen within a seven-day period, we are in the top 1% of podcast listening in the country. 30 people determine success. Spotify and other podcast companies have given out millions upon millions of dollars. And now they're retreating because, you know, they're not getting what they wanted. Podcasting as an industry, going back to your your earlier question, is going to change. It's still a niche. It's still, but it's all about one thing. It's about passionate people that have passion for one thing. They have passionate, they're passionate about one topic or one person or one, you know, whether it be they're passionate about a TV show. They're passionate about an actor. They're passionate about people, you know, you're passionate about stories and storytellers. That's the difference in this world. The people who are successful and will continue to be successful are the ones that want to continue to tell a story. That's where that's where the money will be made. Someone will say, yes, the money is out there. People, when it comes down to it, people will advertise. It's like I started this out. It's the people are all about, look at me, look at me, look what I'm doing. That's society as a whole. You wouldn't have influencers because what influencers are? Look at me, look at me. What are radio personalities? Look at me and look at the artists we're playing. In TV, look at the story we're trying to tell. In newspaper, look at what's going on in the world. All it is, everything that we're doing is, is about look at this, listen to this, mm. pay attention to this. And so there will be people that will want you. It's like Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller are always doing a great show, but they're masters of misdirection. They may be like going, hey, look at this, look at this. And while while you're over here looking at whatever it is that I'm juggling over here, I might be over here, you know, stealing your wallet. And that's what where it becomes about content and influencers and all that is about what are you delivering? What are you passionate about? The people who have the same passion for you will continue to listen no matter what. Jeff and Emily, they will listen to anything I've got because of the passion that they have that I have brought them in. They may not be able to be on the Zoom call or the phone when I interview somebody. But if I know, like I have a friend who is in uh, Fredericksburg in New uh, Marble Falls, he is the biggest, the biggest fan 
for Wu-Tang Clan. And so I had the leader of Wu-Tang Clan on for an interview. First thing I did was call him and said, hey, I'm going to have, what would you like to know? He is like, and in the end, he listened to the episode I could, I tracked and he was listening to the episode like 10 times because I mentioned, you know, he would like to know this. And he's like, ah, but that right there is the passion. If you find the passionate in everybody, that's where people will be successful. That's where we'll be great. That's where podcasts and newspapers and radio and TV, there are still people that will not will not go without their New York Times crossword puzzle. They will not go, you know, Will Short in the crosswords. They won't not read to the Washington Post. They won't, you know, read their local newspaper. But it takes the passionate, it takes the people who have talent and are consistent with the effort If you are consistent with the effort and you have a little degree of talent, you will go further in this world, I guarantee it, further in this world than if you are just someone who's got talent, but eh, maybe maybe I'll do something today. Yeah, I love what you said about getting people involved, whoever you mentioned about the Wu-Tang story and giving that person the ability to participate in asking the questions. I'm constantly doing that. And I really feel like that is a differentiator. I reach out to my audience, my private Facebook group before most guests that I interview, and I let them know the subject matter that I'm covering and ask them if they have any questions around that. And then a lot of times I call out those people or I then say, hey, here's your question answered. Thank you for giving me such a thoughtful question. And by doing that, you have made the effort because you have now made two touches. You touched the guests because you were you you connected them to one of their biggest fans. You touched the get the, the fan because now they feel like they got an inside glimpse into and they got their question answered. And so because of that, then you're like, oh my gosh, I've this is you know, I've, I can't believe I, 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 you know, Rena asked my question. Oh my God. And they will listen to it. And then they will say, Hey, look, you know, Rutan Clan was on this, this episode with Sean. And he asked my question. You are not only helping yourself, you're helping your guests, you're helping your community. That's what it comes down to. Your podcast is a community and you have to serve your community as best you can. And we're not going to, we're going to try, but with all the times, you know, you're a mom, you got mom duties. You've got another job. You've got all these things that you have to take care of. Your podcast may not be priority one, or it should it be, but it comes down to when by allowing your your listeners and your community to be part of it, it makes it so much easier for your community to still have even more passion because they're like, she let us in. She let us peek behind the curtain. And now you've got to send me that Wu-Tang link so that I can include that in the show notes. And then that's another reason for you to then promote that episode alongside this one. Exactly. And that's why I did it because it's just... <laughs> I listened to that episode actually. And then that's the thing. And it doesn't see everyone thinks that, you know, podcasting has to be Joe Rogan long or super, you know, well, what, what am I going to talk about for 60 minutes? I mean, we've talked so many topics during this this time and you could part and parcel me out and have enough to talk about for three episodes it's a matter of sharing stories we're storytellers we find the people that have the story to tell and then we allow them to tell the story that's all it is that's our gig that's our job and that's what we do and as long as people listen and as long as people are as passionate about what we want to know and passionate about, et cetera, et cetera. It goes back to, remember when you ask, have you, uh, you know, when the karma has, has returned? I don't have to. It always is. I love that. That's so good. Okay. Should I call you Sean Dillon? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. You right. should. So should I ask your dad a question now? I thought you did, but if you have another one, yeah. Okay. Give him a part two. Part two. What was the best and worst thing about Rena growing up? I want to know all the dirt. I want to know all the things that she did that drove you. How did Rena drive you crazy growing up as a teenage girl? Everybody always wants the dirt, right? 
you know, the best part about this is that I'll never know if he actually hears it because you could do go, oh, he never had that second question. <laughs> it's called post-production, folks. That's what people don't get is sometimes we make mistakes on here and Rena will edit out those oopsies. It's a secret of the of the biz. Do you have like any favorite radio bits that you do? My favorite thing is talking about what's going on in my community. It's a matter of, you know, our tagline is live, local Lubbock. And that's the thing of if you are paying it, it goes back to if you're paying attention to your community. It's mm -hmm. all about what's going on. You know, it's kind of like, you know, right now coming up this week is a Big 12 baseball championships. If I'm not talking about Big 12, but it's last week was graduation. And if you weren't talking about, hey, congratulations to all the grad, high school grads or Texas Tech grads, that's where it's not a matter of, it's a matter of what's going on in your city? What's going on in your community? Where's the pothole that's driving everyone crazy? Where is the, the construction that everyone forgets about? And we've had more accidents about this week. Those are the things that when you are talking in my mind about your community, you have to care about your community more than you care about yourself. That's where it's not about, everyone thinks that it, there's, there's secret radio bits, but it's not about it's about having a relationship with your community, having a relationship and letting them in on who you are and what's going on in your world. Because, if, for example, you know, my son's, you know, going to be a senior at Cincinnati this year. For me, it's like now he's going to be a senior. So there's one of two things that's going to happen. Either he is going to be an incredibly well-rounded human being with a music degree from Cincinnati or Ryan, you're going to be out in the streets. So you better figure out a way what you're going to do with your life because you're not staying here. You're not staying with your mother. I'm just telling you right now, you're going to have to find a job. You're going to have to be, you're going to have to take care of, of you. And otherwise it's ramen because, you know, I'm serious, Ryan, you're going to have to remember you are one year away from having to get a job, be a productive member of society. I don't want to hear about I want to take a gap year. I don't want to take, I want to take about, I want to find myself. No, the real, the real world is calling. Do something with your life. Your mother Ooh. and I are worried about you. That's tough daddy advice right there. Yes. Sean Dillon as a daddy right there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I would never say that to him, but it's funny to say it's what, because he's such a good kid. It's one of those things that I wouldn't have to He'd be like, Already got, see, for him, he's already got two high schools. He's going to be a music teacher. He's already got two high schools that are like, hey, Mr. D, you know, what would you like to start? And he's like, hey, let me finish my senior year. I mean, for him, he's he's like, I said, hey, so what are you doing in the summer? He goes, well, dad, I've got band camp, and then I'm going to teach some lessons to some kids. Now, band camp, 15, 16 hours a day, two hard weeks. I said, so? He goes, those poor blokes are going to pay me $2,000 and I'm just going to have to just suffer, take that money from them. And then from those kids that, that aren't going to have to have lessons, I'll gladly give them and I'll take their money too. I'm like, you're just saving up money for, for senior year. He goes, I don't want to eat ramen all my life. He's a good kid. And so I know that without a doubt, he'll, he's got his life perfectly set. But, you know, in case he doesn't, you can live in the in the uh, spare bedroom, but you have to go to school and work on your master's. You got to get yourself a job. You can't stay out past midnight. Can we can we get that? Can we get that as a deal? Now, if you want to bring your girlfriend along, she can sleep in the other in the other guest room, but we'll let her stay out too because she's more responsible than you. Just kidding, Ryan. I'm just kidding. He's the most responsible kid in the world. Do you see yourself? And Ryan? Oh, no. Ryan, when my ex-wife and I divorced, Ryan was tough because I didn't get the typical dad experience. She took Ryan. She took Shelby. She moved back in with her parents. Shelby was four or five. Ryan was two. And so I never had a typical relationship with Ryan. He was always, he was brought up by my ex-wife's various boyfriends, et cetera, grandparents. And so the thing is, is that I never tried to over daddy him because I'd see them for two weeks, maybe another two weeks in the summer. What can I do in four weeks when she has him for the rest of the time? How can I change who he is and who he's going to be in that short of time? I couldn't. 
So rather than making it where I was trying to undo all the things that my ex-wife put into him, I tried to show him what right and wrong was and that unconditional, without a single shred of doubt, that he knew that he had love from me without a doubt. And the longer and with each year that came passing, he found the truth of what my ex-wife did. And he saw that when, you know, his grandparents, her parents came up and said to me during my daughter's graduation, I just want to let you know that you were right. Our daughter was wrong and we're sorry. And when Ryan saw that and you could just, you could see the haze come from his eyes and you could see that he realized that I wasn't bad. I, I wasn't the, the, the big bad wolf. I was just someone that wasn't understood. And so because of that, I have a better relationship with the one person that I thought I would never have. We never played catch. I never, I never saw his first steps. She didn't show me. I mean, I wouldn't get what typical dads did. She would give them a iPad or a Game Boy and then call them and then have them call me and hand them the phone. And I'd be like, hey, what's going on? How, how is school? Oh, I'm playing with my with my Game Boy dad. Can I call you back? Or I'll talk to you later. Bye. And so I didn't get the relationship that normal dads do. Am I better about it? No, because I took that opportunity to love them in that time that I had with them. I made it where I could show them that no matter what, their dad loved them unconditionally and they would always know that I would always be there for them. And so that's where it's not a matter of, it's a matter of, I feel cheated. I'm not mad. I feel cheated. I didn't get the ability to watch them play, you know, sports or to, you know, she moved them 1,052 miles away. So you tell me how you have a relationship when you see them maybe two, three weeks a year. And so that's why when you ask, do I see Ryan and uh, do I see myself and Ryan? Or I feel very blessed and fortunate that he has my sense of humor. He has my intelligence. I don't know where the hell he got his musical talent because he's the most talented percussionist and hands down. I can barely snap two fingers. I've got no percussion in me and he can just, he can do anything. He's amazing. And so do I see myself in him? I see the best of the world in him. I see potential. I see love. I see passion and I see effort. If As long as you've got those four things, you got it made, kid. John, thank you. Please promote away. Real simple and easy. Listen to Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon wherever you find podcasts or beyondthemic.com. Hit us up. Give us a like and subscribe on the Good Pods app or on your favorite podcast. We will accept every single five star and we are five star guaranteed or your money back. And if you pay for Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon, you're getting ripped off. You've heard from my mom. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. All right, so this was Sean meeting with you. Every one of your guests wants to know if you were a troublemaker while you were growing up. <laughs> no, you were just curious, wanting to find your individuality, which is nothing strange. We all have gone through that. Of course, being a parent, instead of being in your shoes, you know, we try to guide, guide you a little bit, but most of us like to find our own way. And so did you, just like I did. And now you have a son that is also showing you that he likes to find his own way, but we still try to give him some guidance. But what's key from this episode is that you have to have encouragement and let people find their way because he is also talking about running his own show and he wants to be true to himself. He doesn't want to be under someone's thumb or somebody to tell him what to do or to change the name of your show or his show. We all want to find our individuality, but at the same time, we want to still have the people around us to encourage us. He said something very interesting also is that sometimes you might not have the best of abilities and there's sometimes there's natural talents that are out there but if you don't put the effort in every day 
and outwork everybody. That is also part of the formula of success. And I mean, we've even heard that famous line that sometimes even a genius, it's still 99% perspiration, 1% genius or knowledge. You have to work it. You have to not give up. You have to give it everything that you have and do it with something that you love because we're here on this earth such a short period of time to not really allow yourself to feel and be who you want to be and love what you're doing. Like I said, time is very short in our lives. So it's go for it. Go for that brass ring. But you've got to understand that it's not automatic. And there's mistakes along the way. And we all make them, no matter how talented that we are. But those that put in the effort and go for it, where they work it and work it and work it and learn and develop, have a chance to also have some pretty good success. And you know what my dad said, stand up for yourself. Be proud of yourself, whatever it is, and do the very best job that you can, even if it's just cleaning the streets or picking up garbage or, or picking up you-know-what, doo-doo. Be the best at it. Isn't that really the truth? Everybody has value and everyone has a chance to increase their value with that proper effort. Mic drop. That was amazing, Dad. Wow. <laughs> You know, he, he also says to me, he wanted two questions in there. The other question is, is that what gave me my passion as well? Which, if, of course, I think we've answered in different forms before also. But just like he brought up his grandparents on how particular that they were, I was very fortunate where I also had generational love. Not everybody experiences that. And that's really like a wild card. Because when you have generational love, whether it's two or three or four generations, generations of people that in your family that are supporting you and want to know about you and care about you. But that goes a long way. But not only that, but then you also want to not only be an individual, but you want to also continue their dreams too, where you are looking for a future, not just based on yourself, but based on many other people. And Sean says at the end of the conversation is that he wants to be able to make an impact towards people. So even though we want to be individuals, our greatest impact is helping other people. And that's how through networking on the Better Call Daddy show and being able to get beautiful, viable stories that we can share, we are actually part of that impact of uniting thoughts and people together. Keep up the good work, Rena Joy, because the Better Call Daddy show has got at least another three or 400 episodes left in it. I love that. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. <laughs> I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel. And you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's wrap for now.